Hello, everyone, and welcome to Carbide Content. My name is Dalen from MachineWise. I'm David from Contraption Collection. I'm Grant from Fellowship Blades. And I'm John from Triaxis. What have you guys been up to? You want to kick us off, Grant? Yeah, sure. Uh, let's think. I've I've been doing so much, um, and I, also I've been doing nothing at all. So last week I ran out of everything. Uh, my custom logo boxes, which have a five week lead time, oh, no. my custom pouches, which have a five week lead time. Uh, I I wanted to order towels and stickers that also have five week lead times and. Yelp. And those hadn't been on order, so I didn't have those as like a backup for any of the other things. Right. And so I'm, I was sitting there last week with Zeke, and we had 15 or 20 knives on the desk. And I was like, I, I have nothing to put these in. I have no boxes. Dude. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. A fun kind of logistical problem. Also, I ran out of titanium um, because oh. I, I, we, we're introduced or we're working on a new project, and it's using the same titanium that my handles use. Uh, and, and so we i completely just ate through our our month's supply and i have it like every month they send me a certain amount and i completely ate through it because we were doing another titanium project and i wasn't even thinking about it too, it was way too late yeah. um so we had a week of downtime however we used that downtime to recalibrate the uh tool tool offs the the table uh tool probe or whatever whichever one it's called Yep, the tool setter probe. The tool setter probe. So previously, the length calibration was fine, but the diameter calibration was off by like five thou. Oh, and geez. so, so I just couldn't trust it. I I tried to like put in offsets and still measure it, but it was it was just inconsistent and it was weird. And so the mill was not running, and I was like, "All right, Zeke." And this is a very cool moment for me. I told Zeke to do something that neither Zeke nor I had ever done, and I, and I trusted him to just like take it and run. Um, which was very a, a new experience for me. Oh, that's exciting. It was nice. very exciting. Yeah, and that was like the whole point of having Zeke is like, yeah, I'm paying for him, but he's he is a very uh, adept, uh, very skilled person that can that can learn new things that like similar in, in traits of what I think I I carry, but um, I think most people in general uh, you can't really necessarily trust them to like pick up a new thing and just go with it or whatever. Right, right. So, anyway, I I told Zeke I was like, calibrate the tool probe. Haas has a bunch of things on it. Just go. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, we we it spent like a day and a half, um, and we broke a couple a couple tools figuring things out because I just, at some point I tried to take the spindle probe out of the machine and use one of the, like the two hundred uh, offsets instead of one of the actual tool pockets to do the spindle so that I could gain an extra pocket, but that messed a bunch of stuff up. Um. But anyway, long story short, now the tool setter probe is accurate within it's repeatable within a tenth, uh, and it's it's pretty darn accurate within a couple tenths. And right. so now I've every tool that's cutting a important feature is diametrically measuring itself, and then the features are getting cut consistently now. And oh, so okay. it, previously, I, w- I would like every night I would work my my three sixteenth end mill that cuts the pivots. I'd cut it undersized, and then I would mess with the offsets manually to to work it into it till my gauge went in or whatever. Yep. And so now I just send it, and every time it's perfect. That's awesome. I do something really similar with my uh, with my three sixteenths that does my my bushing holes, except I just measure the end mill before I put it in because I swap it out every night. 
Yeah. 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 Just so adjust offset accordingly. Yeah. Same, same premise. Um, yep. and w- whether it's in the middle or, or, you know, with exactly. the micrometer Offline or something. Yeah. I was just like, surely I, especially cause I paid five grand for this, you know, this, this, uh, tool setter. And I was like, I'm not even using the stuff that I really wanted it for. Right. Um, but yeah, so th- now that's working and it's working fantastic. So whether or not my tolerances are actually my, I, I would say my nominal dimensions are perfect yet. I'm still dialing those in because things kind of changed because now I'm working with new offsets. Right. Um, I'm still dialing those into what I want them to be, but at least now they're consistently coming off the mill dead nuts every time. Yeah. Um, is there, um, did you find out like how the tool setter got so off in the first place? I, I've knocked it. Um, I, okay. I completely just rammed into it and it was one of the stupidest things. Cause, uh, the guy that installed it, I think all of the screws were pretty much loose. Like he didn't crank them down at all. And so you could just, you could like flick it and it would actually move the setter out of position. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't stick with the spring. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, uh, I don't know who's familiar. familiar with. Yeah. Um, it's got this like this arm that comes out and there's spring tension in every axis, right? So you can push into it and it'll spring back to its, its neutral position. Um, but the screws were so loose that anything more than just a little horse would completely knock it out of uh, true, or whatever, wow. in, in every direction. And so I was just taking one of my pallets off and my elbow ran into it while I was like just kind of being weird with it. Um, and I tried to recalibrate it after that but i didn't really have a ton of time i got the the length setting working but i didn't have like a, a calibration tool um which you can use an end mill to do but i just i never got around to it so yeah. it's, it's one of those things that's been sitting in the in the corner for a project for a later day um, You're right yeah yeah i like but, to use a if i don't have one of those those calibrating uh tool holders i just like to use the shank of an end mill yeah, yeah. i that's, that's exactly what i, what I did yeah well, are you using so you're not using Wearcom then when you do that, right? So Correct. if you adjust yeah. the feature, then yes. Uh, so so I was previously using Wearcom exclusively, um, and then the actual like input dimensions were just uh, nominal for the for the end mill. But now every time it measures the the diameter, it nukes Wearcom, so it it deletes it. And I I wish it would be able to stay. You can you can make your own your own uh, your own macros for that. I guess that makes sense. You could, yeah. yeah, you can just tell it not to erase it before it does it or whatever. Yeah. But um, I I decided to just overhaul the way my thought process went, and now okay. I create I change my features to be uh, adequate for whatever whatever needs to change because truly it's calibrated quite accurately. That I mean my features are getting cut to where they should be within three or four tenths and so now my pivot holes in my model are accurate to the tenth where previously i just had them at i think i had them at a quarter inch and then i just wear comped them out until uh things worked what do you post that effusion to the so when i first like was learning machining i did that and actually measure diameter and then i was like i'm spending a long time measuring diameter i'm just gonna yeah, use right. wear comp like a smart person right but as you said I'd much rather have the actual end mill diameter in there now because of trying to chase like bores and stuff around. So what do you right. actually post out of fusion as opposed to, cause I can't remember what the list says. Cause obviously just use where, Oh, like in computer, in machine in whatever. it's in yeah. machine, right? Is what? Yeah. It, yeah. I believe it's in control. Uh, yeah. Oh, right. right. Oh, okay. Yeah. Specifically. Um, 
So you in control, and then on your Haas, if you go far right and you tell it uh, which way it wants to probe, uh, I believe it's number three is length and diameter. Gotcha. Uh, and then you got you have to have an edge measure offset uh, K value, which is in the table. Um, and all you have to do is is just probe it at the mill, and and everything else works. Uh, and it, it's it's the far left actual diameter parentheses D value that's <clears throat> going to be changing. Gotcha. See, I liked. Um, I've never had a tool setter, even in like a professional environment, and uh, I liked using wear because it's like n- another thing you can't fat finger. Mm-hmm. Like you just put the right. machine in a zero and it's fine, and then you say yeah. like minus one thousandth. Um, but like it, it means every time you change a tool, you gotta like make sure you type in a different number, right? Or I yeah. guess, you know, have the tool set, make sure you always use the tool setter as soon as you put a tool in. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I don't know. I'm a wear compensation guy personally. Um, I'm also, I usually end up using a tool probe, like, like a spindle probe to measure features and then have that adjust my, my wear comp. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this gets into another issue too, that I really go back and forth on, which is, do you model your tolerances I don't. where uh just just like just make sure everyone's on the same page what i mean is i have uh holes that are 0.22 diameter but really i probably want 0.222 and so i'll either i i tend to just make everything fit like perfectly in fusion and then i'll do like negative stock to leave Mm -hmm. or wear comp even though i know it's like overly wear comping if it's like a tool i know isn't used for anything else um and so i don't know what do you guys think so i don't know that's the way i do it i i'll model to nominal and then do negative stock to leave on features that i know will need it and then i'll still enable i enable wear compensation on every single finishing pass um but i don't know that's a habit that i have because i come from shops where it's customer supplied models and then they'll give you a drawing that have tolerances that are different. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I, so that's the way I've done it too, because we didn't have a diameter measurement uh, at the shops I at, I used to work at, um, or shop I used to work at. So everything was you cut it to feed. You cut the feature. You measure the feature. You adjust your wear comp. The difference uh, to and, and you match the print. It doesn't matter what the model or the program says. You match the print, right? Um. And so for me, though, right now, ha- having technology and having a tool offsetter that's measuring my end mill and being able to achieve the exact diameter I tell it to cut with enough spring passes, of course, um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm now I'm going to model to true dimension. Nice. So. I, I, I actually was thinking about talking about modeling in, in Fusion 360 with you guys. I... I've gotten like in the last couple of weeks, I've gotten so much more confident in finding what I think my tolerances need to be, you know, yeah. on, on things that like only apply to my design. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just something I can look up. Um, and so now I think I do want to switch to modeling them where they need to be, because I also, you know, okay. still am kind of exploring if I want to have more parts made by outside people. Mm-hmm. And so I think being able to say a feature is plus or minus one thou instead of saying it's, you know, plus two minus zero or or something like that. Um, Just just I think I can make the 
if I make a print, it'll come out more simple if I properly model where things should be. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, that, that's what I'm thinking is... And, and the other thing that I ran into, something that kind of bit me for a couple handles, is uh, I had changed my model to not be true dimension, but I changed it so that I was getting the cut that I wanted. And then whenever I got a true dimension cut, it was way oversized because everything updated and I forgot about that one feature. Right. Where where if I actually modeled to true dimension and I use things like stock to leave or wear offsets to make the difference, um, whenever those wear offsets and stock to leave get nuked, then I'm back to the true dimension. So I'm so more than likely the more accurate my machine gets, it's cutting more accurately to what the model should be. Where if I'm doing kind of I think as long as you you keep the same train of thought with every feature and you don't do like one thing here and one thing there, um, I think that's the big thing. It's like whichever path you choose, just stick to it. Otherwise, you're going to get convoluted. Yeah, it it gets more complicated too, though, when it's like stuff like fixtures, uh, where it's oh, like, yeah. do I even need to, uh, you know, a dowel pinhole, a hole that gets tapped, like. Does it even matter? Because I know I'm just using, you know, a 201 drill for a quarter 20 or something. Do I put quarter inch? Do I put point, uh, 201 or a dowel pinhole? You, you know, it's quarter inch, but really it should be like 0.251. Um, I think that's the only place where I might be like less consistent. Yeah, I I personally, and because this has bitten me several times, is I will put the actual uh, drill... I won't put the decimal necessarily, but if it's like a number, you know, number four drill or whatever, I'll put that because when I'm looking back at my program a year later and I'm like, why the hell do I have a quarter inch drill drilling this hole? Um, you know, it, like you start looking at the quote unquote metadata for your program and you're like, well, this doesn't make any sense. But if, it, if it's called out correctly, if you ever need to run that part or, or go back and look at your feeds and speeds, you're like, oh yeah, that was a, that was the quarter twenty drill, the the thirteen sixty four, so whatever whatever it is. Yeah, right. I think I think with all the taps, I'm doing it pretty much always exactly everything's where it's, what it's supposed to be. Uh, it's more like dowel pinholes or something. I kind of just put the exact size and kind of go by feel. Mm-hmm. In reality, with like circular interpolating it or something. Yeah. Oh like yeah, that. I I get you. Yeah, there is definitely some some wiggle room because like I think. Feature uh, uh, fixtures, like you're still going to have to kind of work the walls in, r- regardless of how accurate right. your end mill measurement is. You're going to have to do something to get the walls. No, yeah, that's actually that's true, and that's something I've really not perfectly figured out is is uh trying to just dial in the the parts so they fit perfectly, but you also have like the right range where if some you know, especially with the raw material, I always. Uh, I'm so frustrated. I pay for like precision cut stock and then it's still like 10 thou off and it's like, yeah, you know, oh, everything's going fine. But then one of them is just like another thou in addition to being off and it, the pit mole doesn't have a good enough grip and it Yo. gets pulled out of the machine. Yeah. Yep. Only, only 10 thou off for years, huh? Mine are always <laughs> at least an eighth inch oversized. Yeah, is yeah. that a repeatable oh, yeah. ten thou? <laughs> no, no, it's it's no. all it's it's ten thou when I uh, select ones that I think will work from the batch Yo. or whatever, Yo. without having to need another, you know, fix or something. Yeah, I have off zero all of my pitbull material. Yeah, yeah. I, 
I'm still getting a little bit lucky. Uh, and I've so my fixture has a really, really annoying quirk to it is one of the so I run two handles at a time, right? Two two yep. stocks go in. Yep. The the left side, like so one of the, the stock positions is is uh looser than the right side. And so if I have slightly smaller stock, it goes in the right side. If I have slightly bigger stock, it goes in the left side. And I just kind of pick and choose. <laughs> I, I think you guys have probably done the same thing as me, which is look at like every possible Mighty Byte product and like oh, look at yeah. the the like super expensive mini dual vice things and yeah, that have, like a ton of travel and figure out how to make like a fixture that can do anything. Yeah, right. I'm I'm eyeing a few of the other Mighty Byte non pitbull stuff to make my next fixture because I'm just so tired of of stocks getting thrown across the mill or or Mighty <laughs> Bites getting decked off because they were too high. Yeah. yeah, pitbulls are expensive. They are. They're like twelve yeah. or fourteen. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it gets more expensive <laughs> with a for lot your, of the alternatives from my. Yeah. Rate. For yeah. your model question, since I have a new palette system and I've literally had to redesign everything, I model the fixtures as close to reality as possible. Like I even have individual dowel pins that go in every single. Like they're jointed in everything. Yeah, and I only do that because I seem to modify the fixture in a way that if it's not properly modeled and in the future, I'm like, oh, I didn't I didn't know there's a hole there because I deleted that hole or like Mm -hmm. I was too lazy to like not model that in there. And then I've gotten bit doing that kind of thing. But it does take like many hours to actually properly do. Here's here's what I do to kind of get the best of both worlds is. I will import like a Pearson palette, import as much as I can so I don't actually model it. Then I'll make, you know, if it's a fixture that can be repeated, I make just one part of it and then I pattern it and I pattern all the hardware, I pattern everything and and I just program it and make sure it works with all the fixture hardware, with all the parts, all that. And then once I know it works, I'll actually go back into the design environment and just scroll the timeline back to before I patterned it. And so then I don't have to scroll through like a hundred screws and a hundred blades or whatever. I only have to scroll through two, Uh, but I can always, you know, just go forward in the timeline and get everything back. If I am worried about anything. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So you actually bring all your clamps and screws in to your, uh, to your fixture models. Oh Pretty yeah, much, I yeah. I do too. Yeah. Uh, I just, I, I just will always do the like patterning step last so that I can just yeah reverse it when I'm just doing day to day stuff. So I don't have to scroll through the, the long parts list. Right. Oh, I must be the lazy one here. I, um, <laughs> I only have the actual, like, you know, geometry of the fixture. I don't have any of the screws or clamps in there. I have the stock, the parts and the actual fixture plate itself. You're probably a lot faster than we are then (laughs) as far as actually getting something. He's made a lot more products than we have. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, how many, the serif palettes took about three hours to model. And then it took another probably two or three hours to get the initial like production programs going. Yeah. It's it's probably about the similar. Cause I mean, frankly, I mean, my, my palettes are so simple, like importing 10 quarter 20 screws is like not the end of the world. Uh, right. And then every other feature is just a quick, 
sketch and extrude most of the time. Yep. Like maybe I just have more parts and or something than you guys, but I hate how you can't like just make folders to group things in the oh, whole God. list of parts. Oh, but so what you can do is if you make a new component and then like click into that component and then import Ma- McMaster car stuff. Yeah. Then it's like inside that component. So you can minimize that. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically okay. like a folder. It's just kind of like a little annoying to do. Right. Have, Speaking of have, folders. Uh, well, okay. I was going to say, have y'all run into the, uh, the, every time you post a new NC file, it adds it on to the giant stack of NC files. I hate it. I want it gone. I want yeah, I it. just I've uh, they added that feature like a month ago or something, and I've just like never looked so at much. it and just always delete the list. I don't, I don't oh, you guys don't like it. NC programs? There's a way to get it to not auto create a new one. It's in your preferences. Hey, sweet. Oh my oh, god, I'm gonna look you. at that tomorrow. That's so yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like when they first came out, I didn't like them, but I just like will edit one and just post from that. Like, unfortunately, it like adds an extra click, but oh, yeah. you can. I didn't even try to do that. You can edit one you've already posted and repost it under the same. Yeah, you just right click it and hit edit, and there's a tab mm-hmm. for the toolpath, and then you just uncheck and check whatever you want. So interesting. They should like group it. I'll have like different operations and stuff. They should like put it underneath the thing that it posted from or something. Right. Or- or at Still, least just don't expand it every time you open up the file. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I, I don't know. My thing in, in manufacture that I have never liked is the fact that it's really hard for me to dif- differentiate from like different ops when you have a ton of different ops. So mm. like they yeah. look the same looking at them at a glance, and it would be nice if you could like just color code highlight like one. Mm. Like the I mean, bar. You can name them. I, know, I name them. And I do lot. name them, but it's just yeah, like... I have folders too. The, I yeah, get what you mean, then, though. At a glance, you want to just... Yep. Yeah, and then the one thing I don't like about NC programs is if you go to actually select individual toolpaths, it does not give you the tool number in an obvious, like, right in front of your face kind of thing. So oh. I end up actually putting the tool number in the name of okay. the toolpath. I think you can... I think. Isn't there an option in preferences somewhere to show, like, the tool number and the cycle time of that particular toolpath on the yeah, toolpath? M- it does on the actual, the individual toolpath, but it, last I checked, it doesn't do it in the NC program edit. Like, uh, I'm going to specifically oh, okay. post these yeah, tools. Yeah, I'm not familiar at yeah. all with the NC edit section. Yeah. When you guys, uh, sorry. Oh, no, you're good. Good. When you guys actually post out a program, does it have to be just numbers? No, not, at least not on like the Haas controller. On the lathe, it does have to be. For okay. me, it does That's, for Fanook. Yeah, on the Tormach, I will like make super long <laughs> file names. Like this is op three contour handle side, you know, whatever. Yeah, uh, I'll just. Yeah. But uh, I remember when I was using different machines, you had to just do like zero zero five or whatever. Yeah, you know, it, yep. it never even occurred to me that I I could name it anything but numbers because I trained on Fanuc, and so oh, all of my huh? all of my programs are just. One zero one one zero zero two yep. two zero zero three. Has to start with a capital O. Have to have four digits yep. that are yep. nine. Yep. 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 Or it'll yell at you and do nothing. No, that's one of those things that's like if that's true for any modern machines, that needs to change because, like, being able to just be like, this is the handle program. If it's something else, don't look at it. You know, we're yeah, running right. handles. 
yeah. and like have no ambiguity. I yep. think that's important. Yep. I have Sharpie notes over, over all my machine enclosures now for my, for my new machinist uh, to be like, uh, this program is this, this program is this. Yeah. I, I just made Zeke write everything down as I just spilled <laughs> all the info that I could remember. Yep. I just wanted to put it like right on the machine. So he knew it's just like right there accessible. Yeah. That's a good idea. Has a uh, fusion been less stable for you guys lately? Oh my God. It's been horrible. It's so slow. <laughs> Some, okay, okay, something happened like three weeks, two weeks ago that just utterly destroyed me, and it and I, it's keeps happening since. So, I I try to do everything parametrically, right? So that whenever yeah. you want to go edit something, you just go back in the timeline, change your whatever parameter, and and it everything peripherates. Yeah. Yep. I so my handles are in my assembly for my all my manufacturing assembly for all the pallets and everything right. together. So now. For some reason, nothing related to any of this has changed in my actual like modeling. But if I do anything to my handle file, so even if I don't change anything and I just save it, my operations in manufacturing randomly select different geometry. Like it's, yep. it will fully post new cutting paths for a different geometry that it was never even selected. That's uh, and so the 2D contour selection thing, I love that. I've <laughs> I have broken so many tools from it, like you said, switching yeah. the direction of the contour. Yeah, oh yeah. If it was one thing it switches the direction, but another it literally selected an entirely different geometry, like a different pocket to cut that had never been something that it was selected before. Yeah. Oh was, so here's what happened with me. It, sorry. No, no, before. So here's what happened with me is is um yeah, I like make tiny changes or not any change to uh, a blade, let's say, and I go into the machining file I use for making blades, and uh, you know it wants to update it. And if I update it, it uh, flips the blade upside down. Oh God! And it just like the joint gets messed up because I I use like joints and sketches to like p- position things. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. And it just uh, it just flips upside down and it gets broken. And if I try to like go back on the timeline to uh, fix this and like you know reestablish where the joint should be, uh, clicking on the joint would just crash fusion, and yep. it would crash oh. it like to the point where it wasn't even like it froze. Here's an error message. Do you want to send this report? Like it would hardcore crash it, and uh, I was just so mad for several days because this kept happening. And I couldn't figure out how to fix it. Eventually, I did something, but my uh, my whole I have I have like uh, you know a dozen parts to make for one pair of scissors, and uh, things have just gotten so like messy. Where what happens is is I like make scissors, I make fixtures for the scissors, but then it's like I want to make some slight change to the blade or something, but I'm worried that it won't work. And so I don't want to accidentally mess up the good machining file. So I make a copy, but Mm -hmm. then it does work. And so that kind of becomes the default copy and like things just kind of get out of control where I like the references become circular and, and, um, you know, I do this because like, I don't want to change the blade and then just cause of weird fusion glitches or because of me accidentally messing with geometry, it like parametrically changes the fixture Right. Or like if I'm if I like make 
uh, a laser cut blank with tabs based on the shape of a blade. I don't want those tabs accidentally shifting and then that going to the fixture and it shifts where the holes where it screws it through those tabs moves. And then, you know, I can't tell and I try to machine it and it's like off by 30 thou. Um, and so I've, I've just been trying to figure out like, I think I just kind of need to remake the scissors and I've had to do this dozens of times where I just, um, you know, it gets messy enough where it's like, okay, I just got to kind of make them fresh, like have no linked parts. It's just completely make them scratch Mm -hmm. and then probably make the fixtures again. Uh, like in the software, I mean, uh, but like just figure out how to really be super careful how things are linked and what geometry is referenced and like Mm -hmm. project as little geometry as possible. And, use whatever like the safest part of parts to create joints. Um, I'm even thinking about like making the blades in a different file than the handles and kind of having like a, I don't know. I, I'm sorry for rambling, but no, you're good. you're good. Like it's just, it's just like driving me crazy. Like how often I have to deal with crashes and stuff. And I'm trying to figure oh, out how yeah. to, how to, uh, Make things more reliable. Yeah. I straight up lost my entire Serif production uh, master file one time. Like, uh... it just deleted it. It, <laughs> it crashed during a save. And you think cloud based, it's fine. No, it was just gone. Yeah. I. Yeah, that's... There's a way. So, so there's sometimes in like, let's say you're doing something and you're like, that's weird. It should have yep. taken a backup and it's been like three hours and you're like, uh, there's a way to access the backup file that has backups in yep. it that for there some is. reason don't get posted in the recovery section. Yep. So I did you that. Ha- yeah. So you have to go in there and actually rename the file to like F3D or whatever, but yeah, there was nothing probably in there. An, yeah. This is probably like an unrelated thing. I had yeah, something like, the other day where I lost like 45 minutes or whatever. And you're like, okay, yep. auto save. Yeah, I mean, it, it got rid of the entire file. I was lucky that I had yeah. an older, like, because like you do, uh, David, I'll, if I'm going to make a change that I'm not sure it'll work, I will copy. And then that one will be, you know, experimental until it's proven good. And then I delete the old one. Oh, I don't even delete the old one. I'm, yeah. I have a bajillion uh, files. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, but, uh, so I was fortunate that I had one that was like a couple weeks old. So I lost, I don't know like seven or eight hours worth of work, but like the whole file is just gone. I mean, it shouldn't be, but this is another reason I, I think I've kind of split up parts and, uh, operations to like different pallets. Cause they're also different files. Mm-hmm. And so there's like less going on. It's I just, I've, uh, sorry to cut you off there, but no, nah, I, I, so I've, I've had this issue for forever. I think anyone that's used fusion in any complicated manner, you run into something like this. So what I do is I'm when I'm modeling and like prototyping, everything's in the same file. Especially if I need to like get specific geometry to be you know projected off of a different part or whatever. But then I will export those those base models. So the, the assembly that I just created, I will export it into each different file, and I will rebuild each component from scratch. Uh, I'll usually just like project the outline and then. Uh, uh, like uh, the de-link the projection 
so that I have like a base thing and then I'll completely right. rebuild it. And okay. then I'll put them all back in a different assembly as individual files, but now combined together in an assembly. And that way, whenever I want to actually put them in a, a manufacturing file for like a, you know, build my fixture out, each like a handle doesn't have a blade and a handle attached to it. It's just a handle. Yep. Um, and and that that's the way I found somewhat success with this. It's laborious and that's stupid, but it's yeah, right. solved a lot of other issues I was having. Okay. I just save individual components as a separate file, which then no longer links them. Yeah, I yeah, I think pretty much I, I think a lot of software there's there's best practices and and often even in like non-parametric software you kind of make something and then you kind of remake it based on the process of making it so you can make it cleaner. And yep. so you know, you you know, I make a pair of scissors and I'm not sure what I'm doing and then you kind of go through it again. But when you're making it again, like from scratch, now you make every component. But then you're like, like you just make a new component with nothing in it. It's like, I'll need this component. I need this component. But the handles are mirrored, so I don't need to make that component. Mm -hmm. Like once you've actually done it, you can you now have like seeing into the future that you didn't have before. Yeah, exactly. And so then you can, you know, you want to have like sketches as simple as possible, as, as little geometry as possible, you know, stuff like that where you know you you can uh uh make a lot cleaner design and a design that's a lot more likely to work parametrically and cleanly um and predictably but it's hard because the first time you design stuff you want to just do like everything in one sketch right i don't know yeah i I agree with that You're, you're able to make the the new model a lot more cleaner and usually more parametric um, but but yeah. I'd like to have like all the parts in one file, uh, and uh, but like you know, there's there's things where I feel like I'm I'm having to do things that you shouldn't have to do just because it's you're trying to figure out how to make fusion behave stably and predictably. Yeah, it's I have like the knife as one file, and then I just derive it, and then like if I think it's gonna be a problem, I just break the link. That way you okay. don't have to make any copies. Well, well, so when you break the link, though, like all of your parametric and, and historical, or your, like your timeline for that model, is that not gone? For the, so like, let's say I'm making a blade fixture. So I'm like, okay, I only need the blade. And the knife master file is the knife like completely assembled. Mm-hmm. So I'll just derive the blade from that master file, put it into the new blade fixture, and then if I think it's going to be a problem, I'll break the link for it. And it doesn't, um, cause I don't plan on editing the blade anymore. Right. I, I, I think that's the thing is for me, like if I want to go back and change a small feature for the model, like I want to be able to do that parametrically. So you can leave it linked if you want and then play the, the waiting game, obviously <laughs> yeah. for, for like yesterday, like I'm doing one of the new fixtures and it's like fusions, like, Okay, cool. You projected from this from this thing you're gonna have to update later, and then you like control save the master file. Then you mm-hmm. go to update nothing. Nothing's changed, but yep. just because you yeah. save. And then it broke the projected sketch. It was like all your tangential feature off this offset. They don't actually exist. And I was like, okay, I just highlight the sketch and then just fix it so it turns yeah. green. And then I was like, okay, you're done now. 
Oh yeah, I have had to do that a few times. That yeah, yeah. but yeah, good times. Yeah, I, I, definitely sketches. I think is where the most trouble can happen. Like if you can use surfaces or chamfers or something else to reduce how much sketches you have, I feel like it usually goes better. Where you know, if there's a if there's a glitch with a a, a, a sketch, it's like a pain reestablishing the sketch plane and reestablishing projected things and all this stuff. Whereas, like a chamfer's like you know red on the timeline. You just double click it, and it's like so like doesn't look like anything's wrong. And Fusion's like, I guess nothing was wrong. Thanks for clicking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the attention. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, David, how was your week? <laughs> it was uh, fine, except for the stuff we just talked about. <laughs> um, no, I've been like making more blades and really like figuring out what the tolerances should be about several features on the blades, and like kind of learning about finishing. And I- I'm probably gonna have to order more blades. Um, you know, I-, I got I got a few more being heat treated. Okay. Uh, right now but i'm based i'm like i've run through the machining part of every laser cut blade i had uh which you know i've been working through for like almost a year probably oh wow uh, um you know it was i got like 56 or something several okay. months ago uh and now i'm out so you know now i just have to figure out like do i stick with cpm 154 um you know, probably if I at least for a little while stay at yeah. 50 Rockwell and just see how it goes. Um, and, uh, you know, just figuring out other stuff. Um, Grant was talking about running out of bags. I ordered that bag from that, like, promos for you or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and it, I just got it today. And it, it, I think it looks pretty nice. I didn't get my logo on it, but. Um, oh, nice. The bag seemed all right. So maybe I'll give it a try uh nice. with the logo um or just order a bunch um yeah and just just uh stuff like that i just sent like a, a bunch of scrap handles i had to the anodizer because i'm just gonna try to get them to do like eight colors because i keep just like debating in my head like oh how many should i do with this pattern and this color combination whatever and so i was like i'll just send them stuff that i don't even care how it comes out and not have to worry and just be like, okay, that's what blue looks like. That's a good idea. Yeah, make a template. Yeah, yep. but we'll see how expensive it ends up being. Great. They tell me. Yeah. Yep. Um, I don't know. Uh, you were. I wanted to know more. You were uh, trying to machine foam for for uh, packaging. Oh, yeah. I, this is a whole whole thing that I've been. So, uh, one, I, I have an intern, and and he's very keen to learn things, and so. I kind of off of a whim was like, oh, I have a I have a Shapuku or Shapoku. Um and it's a great like learning machine. It's hard to really break it. And if you do, it's right. like maybe a hundred dollars. Like it's yep. great machine to just put someone on and hit go. Oh, um, and and he's been picking up CAD really well and he and I've was teaching him CAM a little bit. And so um I was like, this is a great thing. And I, I just handed him a box. And I handed him a knife and I said, make an insert for this. Um, and so he, he spent like an afternoon drawing one up 
And then um, this is a really fun project for me. I'm going to go a little bit into Geek Hill because it was really <laughs> just cool. So he drew one up and then we, other projects came up and we were working on them. And then one day uh, the mill was kind of doing its thing and it was just me and him in the shop. And so he was assembling knives and doing stuff for the morning, a couple hours. And so I decided to spend my time making the insert from scratch. So all the CAD cam, uh, cutting it out in the shapuku. I just had some EVA foam that I glued and stacked together to make it the right thickness. I glued oh, yeah. it onto the shapuku plate and I had a one flute cutter and just did a test cut and got the feeds and speeds right. And then I made it. I made a drawing out of my CAD and I handed it to him and I deleted all of my files. And I said, now you do it. And I, and I just kind of sat there for four or five hours of we just kind of walked through this whole process um at the end of the day it, it was a really like th- i just needed a project for him to, that was mm-hmm. easy to learn it, you can't break foam no you're not going to have carbide shooting through the shop but you're at right. the end of the day i made a really like we made an awesome insert for the box and so now i'm i've got some actual like toolbox insert foam and now it's going to be probably a mainstay for um my next batch of boxes and stuff um nice, nice. so yeah just so, I mean, having a router is really kind of cool for this because it's it's just a foam cutting upcut end mill. Um, right now, I'm just going to be gluing it to wood, but I'm I'm thinking about making my own vacuum vacuum chuck. Uh, which wish me luck on that. Um, okay. I, I so I've I've done a a little bit of foam cutting. I was trying to make a, for a while. This was a, a long time ago. Uh, inserts for board games. Okay. Like foam oh. Inserts and uh, is. And uh, I think I was using carpet tape, like from Amazon, to hold down the foam. And I think yeah. I was using EVA cone foam too. I tried using like, like you definitely don't want to use anything like putty, like VHB tape or whatever from 3M yeah. or that stuff, because it just if it if you break through at all and it, it like the cutter will just grab it and turn it into like a huge ball oh, and yeah. like completely fill the flutes. Um, and then like I think it, like Grimsnow's video says this where. You do like everything backwards. You conventional mm-hmm. cut. You do the finish yes. cut first, and then rough. It's like yeah. completely backwards. It's weird. You, um, but yeah, so I I might want to do that again too. But I feel like I just don't know if the time is worth it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely for me. I'm I'm definitely happy with it because it's not necessarily my time, and it's also not expensive mill time. And yep. so it's it's free time, and and if I get a cool product out of it, or a, not product, but a, a cool improvement to my my boxing and packaging, it's a win win for everything. Yep. Also, and I I was thinking about this earlier today. If I get this kind of streamlined, I will happily offer this as a service to you know the community, Ooh. at least at least you guys, um, and possibly to other like small makers that need foam inserts because. Frankly, Rage needs things to do, and I really want to push his his learning. Um, so, like, if we get a knife in, and it's like, all right, now you got to make a custom one for this guy. L- let him go off on it. Um, I think it'd be cool because it, it doesn't cost more than like. I think with the foam I just bought, it's like seventy five cents a box. But not it's not bad at all. But with like the proper bulk orders, I'm sure I can get it down way lower. Yeah. Yep. Um, so. I feel. I feel like also the tolerances are like way bigger than you think. Like you think, Oh, you know, a few thou it'll go in. But I feel like you want to leave like, like 60 thou extra space for stuff you put in. Yeah. Well, so 
like around the edge. I think I left ten thou and it was like perfect. Well, ten thou on all, so like I guess twenty thou altogether. Um, and it was pretty solid. The EVA foam is pretty dense though. Um, I'm, I'm, we're gonna have to figure it out with the new foam. Yeah, the tolerances are weird since it like squishes when cutting. Yeah, so, and it's hard to yeah, measure. Yeah, because it it automatically, even if I cut to the the modeled surface and I I actually measured my end mill, it was still leaving more way more stock to leave than it like should have, just because the foam is springy. Um, yeah. So there's definitely experimenting to be required and stuff like that. But right, are you milling all the way through the foam everywhere, or are you doing pockets? Uh, I I did pocket for the knife and yeah. then uh, floor on the bottom of foam. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Nice. Okay. Um, cool. And then I was I was doing the Saunders uh, painters tape super glue technique. Yep. yep. Um, just tried and true. It works every time. It's yeah. it's dirty and and kind of cumbersome, but I think for what's gonna end up being like a entire shipuku load of foams, which is like twenty or something inserts. It's not too bad. It's not too bad for every every cycle. Yeah, um, I think you can just find some double sided tape. I don't think you have to mess with the super glue and stuff. I probably should. I didn't have any on hand, but I did have super glue. So yep. yeah, I I'd probably. Plate. Well, okay. So here's here's the vacuum plate idea. Yeah. Because uh, I was I was looking at Pearson, and it's like twenty three hundred dollars for their their vacuum plate or whatever. Uh-huh. And I c- kind of thought about the idea for half a second. Do y'all think this is a stupid idea? I want to make a vacuum plate out of MDF. Um, I know that's I. That. Yeah, where I worked, uh, that's 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 how it worked. It was it was just like MDF on the top. Yep. Okay. Why do you want to use make it out of MDF? Because it, it, here's the big thing: is it's a router, and so uh, if I put a it, it's a it's a fifteen hundred dollar router. If I put a two thousand dollar vacuum chuck in it. That's right. that's overkill. Plus, like some, it's a router. Sometimes things go weird, and my tool offsets are not very accurate in the router. Plus or minus five thou. I don't want to gouge yeah. a very expensive vacuum chuck. Even if I make a vacuum chuck myself, I'd rather gouge into MDF than gouge into aluminum. Um, two, I figured out the reason, the a way that I want to make the vacuum get all one piece. Because uh, I'm not going to have a base for this. This is just going to be a vacuum chuck entirely out of MDF with a uh, single, I guess, hose attachment on the bottom. And because it's a router, I can drill through my spoil board and attach it straight through the bottom instead of having like yep. a side with a hose with like an internal uh, tube, not tubing, but um, you get what I'm like airway, internal yeah, airway and then come out. Because uh, I was thinking about doing that and making a two piece thing. And I was like, wait, I can just drill through the bottom and have the center of my vacuum chuck just straight out into a into a vacuum uh mm-hmm. and it and I think it should work. Okay. You going to power so, it off of a shop vac or off like a venturi pump? No, I I have a I have a couple little vacuum pumps that I've used for like uh air conditioning oh, okay. work. Um yeah. So, so I, yeah. To to be oh. clear like I don't know like how much John knows or not like so the, the shop I worked in had a router that was, it was probably a router that cost like 50 grand. It, it wasn't Oof. like a crappy yeah, router. It was a real one. Yeah, yeah. And like we, we cut lots of plastic on it and stuff. And so underneath the MDF, there's probably some chambers or mm-hmm. piping or something. Uh, but then the MDF is porous and, uh, 
you know, it, it like even with a bunch of grooves and stuff from cutting through like tons of stuff, um, like we probably should have replaced them more often. You know, if you're cutting, you know, relatively large, you know, like a foot by a foot, at least piece of plastic, like it'll hold down super strong, even if there's like a ton of grooves and stuff cut all over it. Yeah. Um, so what did you guys power the vacuum with? Like, what did you use for your, for the vacuum home? Cause I feel like if it's like an MDF vacuum fixture that is porous, that's trying to hold down foam that is porous. I feel like you need a lot of CFM. I feel like you need like a shop vac or like an HVAC system to, to be sucking on it. I, th I mean, I think that if it's, um, sorry to not answer for Grant, but if he doesn't make it too big, if it's close to the size of the thing he's making, like a box insert, then it potentially, if the foam's covering the whole thing, doesn't it kind of like cap out where it's sucked as much air as it can and then it's just done and you don't even need to have the vacuum on anymore? Assuming there's not a leak. So Dalen has a good point, which I'm I'm currently thinking this is going to be the, the bottleneck of this whole contraption, is right. the foam is porous. In fact, it's incredibly porous. Like, mm -hmm. uh, Wait, I thought EVA is closed cell foam. I, so the actual... I, I could use EVA foam for this, but I, I went and swapped to a, a toolbox insert foam. One, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to cut a lot better than EVA. It's, it's more brittle, I guess, in, in that way. <laughs> sure. It, however, however you describe foam rigidity. Um, <laughs> and so it's, it, I think it'll take a chip better. And it, uh, like, from what I can see, I can actually find feeds and speeds for this foam where EVA is hit and miss at best. There's okay. like one carbide 3D video and and it was like, okay, like so it, if, you, if you like dip it in water, does it like absorb water? Uh, that's a good question. It, it, I don't think it would absorb water because it's not like it doesn't have the micro pores that like sponges do where the water surface tension is going to like hold it in. Um, it's, I thought, I thought, it, I thought that also might be closed cell. But it's, maybe it, well, it's it's like aerated closed cell, if that makes sense. Okay. So like there, I can see visual like eighth inch holes, um, maybe not eighth inch, but like at least sixteenth inch holes that there's probably light that can go through the part. Um, okay. Yeah, so, I would wonder if the vacuum would even work on that then, or if it would like just try to like smush it down or well, right. I think with good CFM it would work, which is why like a shop vac comes to mind for me. Yeah, so I the one thing with shop vac is you need the the right amount of uh, surface area for the actual hose because if you take a shop vac and you just squeeze it down to like a quarter yeah, inch, tiny. yeah, you have to do like PVC piping for your uh, exactly for it's, your channels. You're gonna lose a lot of efficiency. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, it, I think I think fun. actually what you should do is uh, you get like the tape that I found and I can try to find or it's like two inch like carpet tape or something. Mm -hmm. You stick that down and then you put painters tape on the back of the foam and then stick the painters tape to the double sided tape. And, uh, that way you just don't rip a bunch of foam off when you try to yeah. take it off the machine. But I, I think like, I think that could be plenty strong, like, you know, I think the worry is too much strength and you rip off the foam. And so if the painter's tape thing works, uh, but you don't have to mess with super glue, I, I think that might be the way to go. 
Uh, de- definitely that I like that because you nix the super glue, but you also get uh, the strength and not the tearing out. But hear me out because I do want to make this vacuum check idea. Just we'll just put painter's tape on the back of the uh, foam and then vacuum check. Oh, oh there you go, okay. No, yeah, you just seal off the underside. That might yeah. that might make sense. But yeah, I don't, I don't, and it because that's the whole thing with the MDF is like. I can cut an MDF vacuum chuck all in one pass on the Shapuku itself. So all I need is a, a some cam and a so board of MDF. What, what would it look like? Because I would think you need like like sl- a bunch of slots and then like they lead together and then you have some kind of thing cut in the side for a pipe thread so, or something. So the way I'm going to do it is... Uh, so you have a grid pattern of slots. I think mine are eighth inch, but I'm going to have to get some gasket material and figure out what that is. Um, and at the bottom level of the slots, you have some inlet hole. You only have one inlet vacuum hole because it doesn't matter however many inlets you have as long as they're all under vacuum, it's the same amount of vacuum pressure. Um, so you only need one, and it's right in the middle. The way that most vacuum chucks are designed is that there's some internal piping and then it goes out the side because you're on a T-slot table or whatever that you can't drill through the bottom of it. But I'm, I want this to be a silly, easy MDF board. I don't want to make it two pieces. I don't want to make it complicated. So I'm literally just going to drill, drill like a half-inch hole through my Shapuku. Because um, the MDF, it's open on the bottom. There's just some like support ribs that, go, that are metal for the actual frame. Yep. But you can drill straight through the whole, whole machine so if the bottom side of my vacuum chuck has a quarter inch hole and I just drill through the Shapuku, I can put my vacuum pump right on the bottom side of this. So I don't have any internal piping. It's just like, you know, flexible hosing right to the bottom into the inlet and then just a grid pattern with a gasket on the top. Okay. Is it like uh, on a table or something? Yeah, it's on a table. Uh, it's like a packing table. And like the hose can like be underneath it like there's enough room to bend or whatever yeah there's like a there's like a half inch gap under the table and worst case frankly i'll drill through the table <laughs> i well, want probably this just to screw so on just drill through everything. Something. yeah i have like because well it was a it was a just a light bulb moment because i was i designed fully a two-piece vacuum chuck that i was going to make out of aluminum and then i just sat there thinking like why am i making it out of two pieces it's just one hole and then I was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just drill through the Shibuku. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. If, if I can drill through the Shibuku, it's the easiest vacuum chuck in the world. So oh, I'm yeah, going to try it. That yeah, it, it'll be a fun project. I'll, I'll probably make Rage do it. <laughs> nice. That'd be good. I mean, good project for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'd be good. Uh, well, before we get too far into this, John, tell us about the Lang. Oh, yes, the Lang. The, the I like spending money system. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's very nice. It's uh yeah, it is very nice. So obviously the goal is to like redo all the fixturing for the knives and I was like if I'm going to redo the tombstones, I feel like I should just go all the way and also do the the pallets themselves. So essentially I'm buying Lang. So I have the Lang like uh the two spot. It's like a two-fold plate, I think they call it, but it's it's the one that you're able to add a secondary plate to the right if you want with like an adapter. Okay. And I did that because I couldn't afford the fourfold, which was like, like I said, 10 grand. Yeah. Um, crazy. Yeah. But you can literally just, you can take one of these two folds, which is half the price. Actually, it's way more than, it's way less than 
half it's like uh 3800 with machining and i bought a bunch of pull studs oh wow so yeah what i'm gonna do is just do a single pallet for now and then like if it's a really good way to do it then you can just add the other two fold next to it and then oh, you nice. can have two pallets kind of thing nice so, so that's a goal but david so you're using this to like help you make tombstones or or like uh to make knives too or both so i'm not happy i was unhappy with the previous pallet system the entire work holding system on the mill has been basically like kind of not what i've been happy with and so i wanted to do it right this time and not have any doubt essentially and also be able to invest in the future and not like question if investing more money into the system was a good or bad idea and i know Mm -hmm. like lang's very very proven and they make good stuff and they make a ton of work different work holding stuff which is which is cool um so yeah basically i wanted to make it more streamlined and basically really actually get into palletizing the work because currently what i was doing was just making one fixture essentially and then just loading that manually of stock and not actually swapping pallets like you sh- like you would be doing. Right. But the really, really important thing about all this is the design is like stable and I don't make no, I'm not making any changes now, mm. which is the most important thing. And yeah, that's really if, nice. If you're st- yeah, if you're still in the prototyping phase, it's not I would not have done all this. But now I'm like okay, I want to make, like, two knives of parts in a day. Like, I'm at that stage now. Yep. Oh, yeah. Part of that plan, so... So, so uh, what I mean, though, is, like, if you make pallets, are you going to be making, like, handles, three-axis, you know, on top of the laying on a pallet? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep, so they're going to be essentially, like, think of Pearson pallets, but it's obviously using a mechanical screw... And the current pallet size I decided to go for, like with this twofold plate, is uh, hold on, I'm staring at it. I think it's it's seven and a half by fourteen is what I came up with, and the they're one and a half inch thick. As far as that's kind of like what you needed minimum that I was comfortable with to still be able to tap and put the bores in for the the pull studs. Okay. And I'm only using the center four pull studs because this this plate has eight spots. So you could actually run two small pallets if you wanted. Um, or, yeah, so I'm just using a long one. I'm going to use the center four because why nice. try to actually pull on eight, you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, I I just wasn't sure. Like, uh, like I, I thought you were kind of debating like the mix of how much was fourth axis and how much was three axis. So that's still always a debate and going yeah. through these new f- like these new fixture designs I'm still kind of doing that. Um but basically if it can be done on the three axis it on the actual you know on the table itself it will be and it mostly because uh repeatability is better on the table mm. not not knocking Haas but knocking Haas the, <laughs> the fourth axis doesn't it's repeatable like I'm would comfortably say within like over the distance of six inches degree wise, it's like, like I said, I don't know what the actual measurement is, but it's like five tenths. If you sweep the indicator, when you tell it to right. go to a commanded flat spot. Yeah. Mm. So when you restart the machine or like, you know, the brake comes off the brake, the brakes only accurate within 
Um, and I say only it's, it's like two, two tenths is what I've noticed <laughs> when I'm indicating the thing is, which is really good. Yeah. That's awesome. But when you're doing like, like the lock bar inserts I had on the fourth axis. So it's like that surface needs to be, that needs to be no, have no angle change in it whatsoever. It needs to be flat. Yeah. And so those need to go onto a pallet. And the, the reason they weren't going onto a pallet is because I didn't want to invest money into the system I had. So I was at this yeah. weird, like, you spend a lot of money and switch the whole thing, or you just continue to, like I said last week, I think, kick the can down the road kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, um, uh, go ahead. As, as someone who, like, you know, has been mostly three axis, but kind of also could do fourth axis, like, I feel like the only time I ever think about it is uh, for blades. And, you know, if I yep. think, like, if you want to do hard milling, like, being able to tip it is so great uh yeah. for for uh for hard milling or, or any of the bevel but yeah oh. like a lot of the other stuff you know maybe it's slightly less surface good surface finish but it's also easier to tumble out because it's not hardened steel yeah, yeah. i yeah. mean it, I if actually... you oh go ahead uh, dale oh. yeah i was uh just today i was putting serious thought into reaching out to my um into my mighty distributor to see what a fourth axis would cost for it and then yeah. just putting the entire blade palette on a fourth axis because i am getting sick and tired of trying to surface these bevels without uh, being able to tilt them so yeah. my like my thoughts on it is it's nice to be able to tilt them for the bevel but at the same time if you put the whole palette there well so so i had to deal with like you you guys don't have to deal with this necessarily but the the taper angle on the back of the blade for lockup is really crucial. And yes. if you have movement, any degree movement, that 7.5, which is what is on mine, is not necessarily 7.5. And it's not something I can just, I don't have a way to measure it because I don't have a CMM or anything. So I'm, right. just, I'm just hoping that both the lock bar face and this blade is actually correct. And what happens is like, you get a bunch of them and you're like, okay, now I have to try a bunch of different lock bar inserts until one mm. word, which is really annoying because you yep. end up making like four or five of them. And then you have no way to tell like how much stock to leave you left on them because stuff right. keeps moving on you. Yep. So yep. do you well, kick it at I, an angle for that seven and a half or do you use like a seven and a half degree taper and mill? Uh, nope. I literally just, that's the thing. I just mill it straight in like the fourth axis stays flat and I use a ball end mill. Oh yeah. So that should, you could do that on a, that's what I was going to say. Although getting a, you could probably get that angle from Harvey tool or something, um, as an end mill, but yeah, do, do like all the roughing of the blades and that, that crucial angle, you could surface it, do that all on a pallet on the three axis and then just do the final last operation on the fourth or something. Yeah. And what, What's important, I think, like, like, you know, David, if you're thinking about doing like any fourth axis work for blades, the bevels are not something that needs to be as accurate as the actual locating features, like lockup right. stuff. Honestly, getting the bevels to match within five thou, I don't think anyone's going to notice. <laughs> right. You, it's really hard to notice, especially if you have like swedges and sweeps. Like, especially they if you only like have one bevel. Together. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I don't know, like the fourth axis is really good for really specific things, but yep. I'm trying to put as much work on the flat pallets. 
oh, for yeah. that repeatability and the fact that honestly it's it's faster um you can it's just it's more reliable essentially um yep. so i don't know i'm still juggling like what right. go yeah. and not like, go but i want a fourth only to kick the bevels at an angle yeah um you, without having to add in another operation for just bevels because i could make just an angled position on my current pallets but then it adds a whole extra operation yeah so what basically for mine for the angle all i'm doing is kicking at an angle and then leaving it at that angle so really what you right. like you just said is you could make an angled pallet and you would yep. essentially achieve the same thing without having to spend like right. 11 grand or whatever yep. the cost of the fourth yep. is i thought i'm um, making some kind of weird like 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 tiltable fixture for the blades that has like a cam on it or something like a cam lever yeah. you just push the cam lever and it kicks them up at an angle and you put it back down and it puts them back flat or something but yeah. That'd be cool. Th right. This the pallet stuff, like the actual work holding, is the thing that's always killed me as far as like actually oh, yeah. making money. And that's like yeah. that to be the thing. Yep, um, it's the problem. I guess uh yeah, just go past it. Yeah, and you want to make sure you're like for this blade palette, I'm doing like just two two blades come off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like not to get crazy, because the fourth axis is gonna have just two blades. So you don't want to make like four on the flat and then have only two on the fourth because right, you exactly. blow it through now yep. you're like okay i have a stack of 12 ready to go and you're yeah. always waiting so yep. i'm trying to you're make sure that math more more. checks out yeah and uh yeah that's that's basically it and then i started oh. classes and that was complete insanity this week but oh i bet, oh, yeah. I bet. yeah that's yeah. crazy well so, yeah awesome dude looks like we've just passed an hour yeah dale, dale do you want to quickly wrap up your week Oh yeah, let's see. How was my last week? Um, I hired a new machinist. He is fantastic. Oh nice. yeah. Uh, he is very green, kind of fresh out of the trade school stuff, um, but really wants to learn, has the drive, and is nice. doing great so far. Like I just got a text in the middle of this podcast. He's like, cool, everything is done, and I'm ready to leave. I'm like, fantastic. That's <laughs> I can't awesome. ask for more. Um, other than that... Didn't have Tuesday because I spent a lot of money to get my panel, my my main breaker panel redone. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And then my Okamoto grinder decided to break for basically no reason. Damn. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it it threw a blade for whatever reason. So I just hit oh. stop while it was running. Like it it wasn't even a bad throw. It was like it, it started sliding them. So it's like, okay, something's wrong. I don't want it. Like I'm just gonna hit e-stop. And uh it e-stopped just fine. And then it just never left e-stop. Mm. it just wouldn't mm. leave the e-stop state i cycled power so many times so um, i went did, through checked fuses i did yeah so i did something similar on monday or something the oh. air compressor was running and i run yeah. it off a phase converter right. and i was like i'm not going to switch it off i'm just going to shut the converter off well it blew the fuse one of the uh -huh. one of the leg the leg fuses oh, and, then, and then of course it's like this is a 600 volt one amp fuse that yeah. none, of the, none of the electrical yeah. supply houses. Yeah. They're like, we only, we only have a 10 amp. And I was like, give it to me, but don't worry. Don't worry. They're now, they're, they're it's one no amp. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I know why I broke. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But well, hey, yeah. make the fuse bigger. It'll never break again. Problem solved. Yes, so right. I, I just right. put a three amp fuse on, on a two amp spot on the circuit board of the VF1. And I was terrified the yep. entire yep. time. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so Okamoto broke for seemingly no reason. Spent like two and a half hours reading through the manuals. And for that particular alarm, the manual literally just says 
cycle power. That's the only only remedy that the, have you tried turning on and off yet? Yeah. <laughs> so I did that. Realized I, I did something. Yeah. Did what? you did you mess the switch up when you hit the e stop? No, actually. Okay, so the switch was say, the uh, switch was functioning because it, it was tripping a relay in the in the pan or like inside the control panel. Um, I was moments away from taking the actual front panel off of like the switch panel to like yeah. at the switch. I was hoping it was simple. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, it's even more simple. So couldn't get it to work. About two and a half hours. I didn't have a a, a multimeter, so I went to go buy one so I could check fuses properly. Came back, turned it back on, and it just worked. Yeah. You just had to Weird. let it sit. I guess. So, like, I'm convinced there's a battery in there somewhere or something, and, like, that's on a timer. It's like, prob- probably a charge capacitor just needed to yeah, charge. It, it could have been that, probably. Like, I didn't, maybe I just didn't give it enough time with, with, the, with the power cycle. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah that's true. By leaving yep. them. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it just sorted itself out. Everything's good again. So, I had a, a mini panic attack because <laughs> I need that machine, or I can't keep up with, 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 uh, with volume. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Meanwhile, huh. Rance Blades were staring me in the face the entire time, going, Hey, you need to grind me. Don't don't be sending in Blades Grant. He's got enough no, stuff to do. I told him to. I told him to. I told him to. So yeah, it's, I told him to get done tomorrow, but that was my week. So nice. far at least. It's basically just one panic attack after another. Yeah. yeah. So after last week too. So much. Yeah, last week's week's week, I mean, I'm still in catch up mode. Like Yeah. I got forty or I got sixty knives assembled all like for the drop. Nice. Um like barely in time. And then but because of that, I'm now behind on next week's drop assembly. So I'm like still yeah. playing catch up. Are are you Hopefully. gonna have are you gonna have your uh, machinist assemble at all? Um maybe if there's downtime. I'd rather have him just solely on machines because like if I know that he can stay busy the entire time keeping just the machine site running, that will let me determine if I can hire an assembly tech. So let me, I feel let like me ask that you, means you need longer cycle times. Oh, no, my, uh, that's the problem. My cycle times are too long right now. You need oh. another spindle. That's what you need. Yes. That's, yes, I do. Exactly. I very much do. But, uh, mm. you know, the famous words of Grove Feeds Cat for breakfast. Yes, it does. Yep. Oh, I heard Shea Pocos are pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah right. pretty good. Yeah, for hard money. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've done it accidentally. It is not fun. I don't recommend it. I can imagine. <laughs> yep. I used to have a Nomad Pro from them, same company. Oh, just yeah. a smaller form factor. Um, great machine. Um, yeah. I kind of want another one. Honestly, I kind of regret selling it. It's honestly because I I haven't used it uh, like while I've been in the shop, but now that I pulled it back out, I have so many projects for it that I just like have been yeah, putting right. off because I don't want to put on the VF uh, any oh. of the hosses. Yep. So having just a little like, you know, thousand dollar hobby level, you know, router or whatever, pretty good idea. Yeah, it, it totally has its place. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think like it helps that you guys have employees because I've also thought about 3D printing inserts like Dalen does. Yep. Um, but it just I just feel like there's already so many it's, things yep. just for me to think about and me to exactly. Mm-hmm. It's just another thing track that you have of. to do. Oh yeah, um, no. I definitely recommend doing like the baggy route. Have have somebody else fix your problem because you're worrying about your knife. Get the product ready. Yeah, yeah. you heard it here first. Grant doesn't approve of my three D printed boxes. 
I did not say anything of the sort. Hey, the printer does the work. Come on. Except <laughs> when it doesn't. Yeah, 3D printers can be I'd... annoying themselves. They're, you know, yep. Somehow yeah, they're yeah. slightly less annoying than 2D printers. I don't know how that works. But... <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I will say, Dalen, I love your boxes. I hate the process. I, that's yeah. that's my thing. I mean, I finally got it dialed. It prints every box every time now. That's solid. That, that's it is, cool. you know, Never buy a 3D printer without an auto bed leveling system. Just don't. Oh, do yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah, I love the Prusa. Yeah, yeah I Prusa. need to get a Prusa. You should. It's especially for what you're doing. Prusas are workhorses. Yep, I'm waiting for that big one. Oh yeah. That's mm-hmm. cool. it's still on like pre order or like uh whatever. All right. What it's, size of nozzle are you using? Point I think it's like point whatever the right default now. is. Yeah. Point four mil right now. I was running a point five mil on my on my older printer. Yeah, wow. I, that's the thing I, I should do is is like I not doing these little prototypes anymore. I should just you know, I, I like doing these trays for assembling and stuff. I should just get like a really big nozzle. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I'm doing like 23 millimeter layer heights. I'm printing like 150 millimeters a second, trying to get four boxes in like a oh, timely manner. And it's still dude. 21 hours. Up up that nozzle. Put put like a 0. 0.6 or 0. 0.7 yeah, nozzle. I want in bigger. But yeah. I'm going to get a real proper printer. Okay. So that's fair. Whenever yeah. Prusa finally has those large ones like available in a timely manner, which maybe I'm asking for too much because. Crusoe makes really good stuff and everyone wants them, but yeah. Yeah. That'll be a purchase at some point. Yeah. I, uh, going to try to take that right from underneath you. <laughs> yeah. Right. We've, I got to look that up and immediately, yeah. <laughs> yeah. please send me one first. Yep. Start finding got... the Prusa printers. All right. Should we, should we wrap it up here? Wrap it up. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All righty. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, until next week. Yeah. See ya. Bye. Yeah, I know. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks.